Amen. Thank you so much for coming to church today. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, it is a joy to worship with you. It's a joy to get our eyes off of ourselves, off of the things of this world, and onto the creator of the ends of the earth. There's a lot of distraction, isn't there? Monday through Saturday. Aren't you thankful for a place that recenters you on the main thing? Everyone say amen if, you're, if that's true in your life. Amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles this morning. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, first page of the opening of your Bible. And uh, I'm excited to try to take a, a, a bigger passage today. We're going to look at verses 3 through 25 and what God was doing in the first six days of creation. There's really no rules as to how quickly or slowly we have to move through the text. But one really cool benefit at Gospel City Church is that our kids and Gospel City kids are also studying Genesis along with us. And so while I'm thankful for the spirits leading, I'm also thankful for the team of pastors and directors that I get to collaborate with on a regular basis. And as we trust the Lord and, and ask the spirit to direct us, I'm thankful for the plan we've put in place so that our kids can study this and we can study this. And, and hopefully you see that that's promoting family discipleship. We say all the time that we are a family, but we want every generation interacting with the word of God at our church. And uh, hopefully at your dinner table, you're blessed to talk about the days of creation because your kids are bringing home questions or you're asking them what they learned in Gospel City Kids today. And we're all directing our attention to the word of God. The only rule as we approach God's word is that we approach it for what it is. And that is the breathed out inerrant word of God. Every word has been preserved throughout history for our reproof, for our correction, for our training in righteousness and for our good. And if we as the people of God will continue to devote ourselves to the written word of God, we can leave every single week knowing that we have met with the God of glory and that we have encountered his grandeur and his majesty. And so on the first page of scripture today that I want to um, direct your attention to, the main exhortation that we will pull out of this text is this, behold, the power of creator God who speaks and creation comes to pass. Behold the power of creator God who speaks and creation comes to pass. And, uh, you know, I was thinking this week as I was getting into this and as I was praying about a time when I was at summer camp, I had to have been in sixth or seventh grade. And at this point in my life, the spirit had opened my heart to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. And, and uh, I remember the counselor taking me outside of the cabin and he wanted to talk to me about the gospel because that's what a good counselor does at church camp. And uh, I went out and he asked me if I had a favorite Bible verse to which I replied, I do. And I said, it's Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. And I quoted it. I said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, him, and he will direct your paths. And that verse has really been my prayer as we approach Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account today. That we would set our own ideas aside. That we would set our own understanding aside. That we would look with fresh eyes at God's revealed word so that we might see all that he intends for us to see. I've been praying that we could lean on nothing today but the Lord and his mighty voice, 
His voice that spoke the formless and void universe into being. His voice that spoke his word into being and his voice that never returns void. So if you would get your eyes on a copy of God's divine word, I want to look at verses 1 through 25 together. I'll read that and allow his spirit to speak. Come Holy Spirit, this is your word. We need you. Now hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms and according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth Bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Let's pray. Father, we come to the creation account this morning And with the same fervor that we had as we closed our time of singing together, I pray that we would stand in awe of your majestic power over all of the earth today. 
And Lord, I can only think about Moses as he was in his wilderness wandering and as the Spirit of God downloaded to him what he was to write concerning the beginning of all things. God, he must have been overcome by your majesty, overcome by your glory, overcome as he stood in wonder, as he stood in awe of your control. Lord, I pray that we would encounter you in that way today and that we would lean on nothing except the words that you've breathed out for our good so that we could behold the power of creator God who spoke and creation came into existence. In your mighty name we pray, amen. So as we approach the first chapter of uh, God's holy book this morning, I want you to recognize how simply and how clearly the creation of the world is communicated to us. It's described so precisely and so simply that even our children can understand what God was doing and what God did in these first days of creation. You'll hopefully talk about it as you leave this place today, but it's it's clearly perceived if read with innocence and a pliable mind and without preconceived ideologies that God is in charge and that God is creating. No one would ever read Genesis chapter one and the passage that I just read to you and assume the idea that it took billions of years for creation to happen. No one would read there was evening and there was morning the first day and the second day and the third day and the fourth day and assume, well, when the Bible says day and evening and morning, it actually means billions of years. No one would hear what I just read from Genesis chapter 1. Nothing could persuade me or any of us toward the idea of the theory of evolution. That at one point in the formless and void past, a particle was floating that transformed in a pile of slime that mutated into a tadpole. And then we had apes. And now here we are as upright, standing, civilized men and women. And some might say, Micah, that's a dumbed down understanding of the process of evolution. And I might say, well, perhaps you're overcomplicating the beauty and the simplicity of what God wanted to show us regarding the beginning of creation. Perhaps God wants us to return to the innocence of the garden in mind and in spirit as we behold our all-powerful, all-creating God. Now, concerning the theory of evolution, uh, I, I bring it up because I know it's in the back of our minds even as we turn, and that's why we're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're looking to God's word this morning. But the theory of evolution is not even seen as a theory in our culture and in our world. It, it is presented as absolute fact in our kids' schools, in our science textbooks, in our, our, our museums. My family and I, we were in D.C. a couple summers ago, and we went to the Museum of Natural History. And there's some cool exhibits and cool stuff going on in there. But as we walked through, all I could think about was, man, somebody in here needs to read a Bible. Like somebody needs to read Genesis chapter one, that in the beginning, God, and you, you can't help as a believer that's been set apart by the spirit of God to think if, if, if Satan is the father of lies, I am walking through a place that is built on a lot of lies. And yet it's being presented to me as extreme fact. 
Where did that idea come from? It didn't come from the Bible. And as believers, we believe that the Bible is the breathed out word of God and it has all that we need for life and for godliness. And so I'll tell you where theories like this come from, ideas like this come from. It comes from man. And while man is intelligent and while man is created in the image of God, we will see over the course of the first few chapters of Genesis that man's thinking and man's ability and man's desires and man's goals are massively marred by sin. That includes you, that includes me. So it should be no surprise to us that our world has so much trouble with the first chapters of Genesis because the first lie recorded in Genesis chapter three is from Satan himself. And it's, did God really say? Did God really create the heavens and the earth? Did God really breathe into existence the world? Did God actually create you in his image to worship him? Are you actually morally accountable to him as the source of all things? It was a lie that began the unraveling of the words that God gave us on the first pages of the Bible. And our unbelief is rooted in our fallenness. And our fallenness causes us to exalt human discovery over God-given revelation. Are the discoveries of man bad? No. They're a representation of the genius that can only come from an all-genius God. Is science bad? Absolutely not. But science is testifying of the glorious renown of Elohim, the all-powerful God. Science will continue to discover and then rediscover and then correct the things that it rediscovers. But God created science and the minds of science just as he created everything. And I realize there's many of you who are pondering these things and thinking about these things because I get your texts, I get your questions. And one brother who was pondering this in worship, he, he sent me this text this week. He said, science is our perception and measurement of an immeasurably powerful, almighty creator. Amen. Our creator is not confined to our science and intellect, praise God, but our intellect and science have to be controlled by and expendable to our childlike faith. So I prelude the six days of creation with these observations because we have to ask ourselves how we got so far from the text. Why do we wrestle so much? Why do we argue so much with uh, the, the, the complexities behind the science and all of the things that our world gets stuck on, why are we asking the questions that we are asking? Are they even the questions that the Lord wants us to pay attention to in his holy and divine word? And I just want you to imagine for a moment, Moses, as he's writing this, I, I alluded to it in my prayer, but I can only imagine the jittering of discovery and the tearful awe that came over Moses as God was revealing to him what to write down concerning the beginning of creation. I, I can relate to it maybe a little bit because as a pastor, sometimes I start my week and I open the Bible and I think, how am I gonna build a sermon off of that? What does that mean? What am I supposed to say about that? And, I, and so I sit and I pray and I listen to the Lord and I think 
and I, I try to write words and I take all these words from the English language and I try to put them together and make them make sense and I try to pull out of scripture the, the thread of what we're trying to go after and, and by the end of the week, things start to solidify and the spirit of God opens my mind and gives me insight to what the word of God is trying to say and at times, as it starts to get clear, I can't contain myself. I'm just bursting with joy that I get to come and get to talk about the word of God. Can you imagine that times infinity? as Moses puts his pen to the scroll to describe the first days of creation, as he encounters the majesty and the magnificence and the power of the almighty God in the first days of the universe, it must have dropped him to his face in worship. And as he writes about these six days of creation that model the very literal days of the week, that he and the Israelites were living in and operating in, he shows us that nothing in the universe makes sense unless it starts with God. In the beginning, God. Your life will not make sense until it starts with God. But God wants to be the Lord of your life just as he is the Lord of all creation. Genesis is helping us to reorient our lives to start with Elohim who is God. So the first point that I'll give to you from the text is this. God speaks and mature creation follows. God speaks and mature creation follows. I want you to notice as you look down at your Bibles, the three words that begin verse three that are repeated all throughout chapter one. You see in verse three, it says, and God said, perhaps your version says, then God said, I'm, re I'm reading from the ESV version, but the phrase is actually repeated 10 times throughout the passage, throughout Genesis 1, and there's at least one starting each of the six days that God created. You might want to circle in your Bible, God said. I did that throughout the, the passage in my Bible. Verse 3, and God said, day 1. Uh, verse 6, and God said, day 2. Verse 9, and God said, verse, day 3. Verse 14, and God said, Day four, and so on and so forth. So when the Bible gets repetitive, it's for our good and for our understanding. Not only is the phrase, and God said, repeated 10 times throughout this passage, but 32 times we see the name for God that we were introduced to last week, Elohim. Remember, it was the majestic plural of the name God, that he's all powerful, that he's all sovereign, that he's all majestic, that he's all mighty God. And as I already stated, the Genesis 1 account is blatantly clear from the onset of creation. And its point is that we would see him as the center of the universe, that we would come to recognize that we are not our own. We were created. We belong to God. God was the only existing being at the beginning. God is the only one acting at the beginning God is the only one initiating anything at the beginning. And as God speaks with his voice, his sovereign power creates. What can you create with your voice? What can you command from the decree of your voice? Can you create anything with your voice? I can't even get my wife's Starbucks order correct with my voice. And I got directions and she's told me what to order and I get it wrong. The grocery list, I can't even get that right. God speaks and the world comes into existence. God speaks and light would, would light up the darkness at the word of his power. God speaks and the oceans would be gathered up 
like you pick up a blanket on your living room floor. God speaks and the Milky Way would hang in balance. God speaks and a pot of orcas would jump along the coastlines. God speaks and a plane would be filled with lions and zebras and elephants and giraffes. And as creation, as the creation of the world began, it wasn't an idea that God just simply set in motion. It wasn't a supernatural nudge that God jump-started in the universe. It wasn't even a malformed, underdeveloped version of what would become. God spoke and creation followed, mature creation followed. And, and this is why I don't believe you need billions and billions and billions of years to describe the age of the earth. Uh, I believe that the earth could be God is plenty powerful enough to have created the world from nothing 6,000 years ago and it have the appearance of age and maturity. Now, there's people who disagree on this, obviously, even in, in between services. I had a brother come up to me and he was like, man, that was an amazing sermon. And, and he said, no one can argue with that. And I said, knowing the brother who was standing beside me, I said, I think this brother disagrees with us. <laughs> and then those two guys got into a discussion about the age of the earth and how old the earth is. And I said, hey, for, don't forget, this isn't the point. This is not the point. Our point is to behold the power of the glory of God. But there's, there's theories like the gap theory or the old earth and young creation theory. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ who differ on this opinion and who hold different opinions. And some of you have probably researched this in your life. I am, as I've prayed and as I've thought about this and as I've researched and as I've read both sides of the argument, in my limited understanding, I am a traditional creationist, a literal creationist. And I take the start of creation in Genesis chapter one, verse one, that in the beginning, God created out of nothing. And that was when he started the process of day one. Now, other people would differ. They would say in the literary um, connections of the Bible, there's actually billions and billions of years between verse 1 and verse 3. And those theories have been held up for time. But here, here's the thing. You have to assume what the Bible doesn't give us to get to these places. You have to assume what's in between the lines of Scripture. And as far as I can understand, I'm banking my hope and my faith, which we know from Hebrews 11 that by faith we know the world came into existence through things that were invisible, not visible. I would rather bank my faith on what God gave me in the Scriptures than assume that which is not there. And therefore, I believe that God could have created 6,000 years ago with the appearance of age and maturity in the world. He certainly did it with the fish and the animals and the plants, and he did it with man. On day one, Adam was not some baby that had to grow. Adam was a fully grown male who was capable of being fruitful and multiplying. God speaks and mature creation followed. But setting all of that aside... I believe this view gives God the most glory. It ascribes so much glory to him. It doesn't steal any glory from God. And we as human beings are notorious for trying to rob God of his glory. God speaks and mature creation follows. And as God begins to speak, our Bibles give us exactly what he speaks. He doesn't pose a question. He doesn't flesh out an idea. 
He doesn't hypothesize what the world could be or what it might be. God decrees with a voice of command and what he decrees comes to pass. Now, another significant form of repetition in the account, six times you see, let there be. So in verse three, and God said, let there be light. In verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse. In verse 9, and God said, let the waters. In verse 11, and God said, let the earth. In verse 14, and God said, let there be lights. And six times, it also repeats that it was so. (laughs) Do you see the immediacy in which God speaks? There was evening, there was morning, representing the end of a new day. God speaks immediately, and immediately following it is so, what God speaks comes into existence. So what I want you to see, and what I want you to behold in the first point of this message today is that the voice of the Lord is powerful. God speaks, and exactness happens. Creation stands attention at the decrees of the Lord, and so should you. God spoke with direct instruction to trees and to stars and to planets and to animals and to oceans and to fish, and he got first-time obedience. How many of you wish you can get first-time obedience from your kids? God can get it from a rock. No problem. And when God speaks, realities happen, and the only proper response is worship. And here's what I want you to understand. As you go through the Bible, you don't have to just simply take the Genesis 1 account as your only account. As you go through the Bible, the whole Pentateuch, the Psalms, the New Testament, all the way through Revelation, we see that God is in control and that God is creator. And it's always proclaiming that the universe came into existence because of Elohim and his mighty voice. Listen to what Psalm 33 says. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, by the what? By, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Isn't that incredible? As God speaks, his breath breathes out everything in the universe. Psalm 33, 8 and 9 goes on. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Why would we fear God? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Why would we stand in awe of God? I want people to stand in awe of me. No, we're, we're fearing God. We're, we're standing in awe of God for he spoke and it came to be. He spoke and it came to be and he commanded and it stood firm. Behold the voice of creator God who speaks and creation comes into existence. But let's move to point number two. It's this, God designs and precise functionality follows. God designs and precise functionality follows. Not only is the power of God's voice on display throughout the Genesis 1 account, but also God's creativity and God's ability to design. And as you look around the world and as you got up this morning and as you drove in this morning and as you look at your children and as you look at the people sitting beside you, God has been designing since the beginning of time. Let's just marvel and wonder at the precision of God over the course of these days. Look in your Bible at verse 3. Let's go through each day. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it happened. God said light, and there was light. As easy as you walking into a dark room and flicking on the light switch. Only God didn't need his eyes to adjust. God didn't need to bumble around in the dark. God didn't need to feel for a light switch. He just said light, 
and there was light. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. It explains so much. The ancient piece of God-given literature describes for the Israelites a phenomenon they'd been living in. And it's a reality that we would live in for the rest of our lives. Dark equals night and light equals day. And what we often do is we say, well, there was no sun yet. So there couldn't have been light. There couldn't have been light because there was no sun. And I would say to you, that's a piece of cake for God. Don't forget the point of the passage. God is in control and you are not Don't forget the power of God he creates out of nothing and that's what makes him God. So while the sun and the moon would come on day four, God shows his power is far greater than any source that man would one day discover. I think this is helpful. The theologian or the preacher John Calvin said this, it did not, however, happen by chance or accident that light preceded the sun and the moon. To nothing are we, as humans, more prone than to bind God's power to those instruments whose agency he employs. The sun and the moon supply us with the light, and according to our notions, we so restrict this power to them that if they were taken away from the world, we would regard it as impossible for any light to remain. Therefore, the Lord bears witness by the very order of creation that he holds the light in his hand and without sun or moon can lavish it upon us. God's that powerful. Doesn't need a mechanism to speak light into the formless and void universe. Beyond that, I believe that the reality of the world is actually heading toward this exact scenario. And I was pondering this, thinking about this this week. There's a verse I love in Revelation 21, talking about the new Jerusalem. And listen to what it says. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That the lamb, Jesus Christ on his throne is described as the lamp of all eternity. And guess who was in the beginning? Jesus, the creator of the ends of the earth was in the beginning and he created and all things are to him and through him and for him. And he is the one true light and his light shines in the darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. God's word's amazing. I could spend a whole sermon on just day one, but we'll go to day two. Day two, verse six. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. So on day two, God puts the expanse of the heavens in the distinct earth seen sky. God's starting to bring some separation. The, the earth was submerged under water completely, and now God draws a barrier, puts an expanse that we would call sky, and we know that there's lots of layers to that. There's three heavens that we see described throughout Scripture, the sky and, and space and the heavenly realm where Paul was caught up But there's water above the heavens in the troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the thermosphere. And the layers of the heavens were put in place by the word of the Lord and the water above the heavens. We know that in Genesis chapter 7, when a literal worldwide flood comes to wipe out the face of the planet, it says that the windows of heaven are opened. And all that water that went up 
came crashing down and the world got submerged once again. But below the expanse were waters that today cover 71% of the earth's surface. So just think about an ocean, think about Lake Michigan. One of my favorite places to go is, is a large ocean or, a, or Lake Michigan body of water. And, and just think about viewing it from your one small insignificant place on the planet. It seems like an impossible amount of water, doesn't it? Now combine every ocean, every great lake, every river, pond, stream, and in between, and imagine God gathering all of that up like you gather crumbs off of the table and him placing it wherever he desires. Like a painter outlining their grand design, God's canvas was now ready for color on day two. And day three starts in verse nine, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Can you just imagine? Out of all this water, dry land appearing, not muddy land, not gross gooey land, not quicksand, dry land appearing, mountains, land rising from the ground. Imagine the glory and the honor of Christ on display as dry land emerges. And in verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. God spoke and mature creation followed. God designed and functionality began to follow. And I hope there is playback of this when I get to heaven, don't you? You just wanna see it happen. You wanna see it take shape. Pastor Tyler Downing sent me a, a journal article about the, the Hebrew word dasha, which is, is where we get the word sprout. And it's talking about this, this thrusting and this shooting of creation. It's, it's, uh, it's action is being described. And it, it, it was described as if in the beginning of creation, as this took place, it's not that God said, let there be a tree and there was a tree. The process in which a tree sinks its roots and takes on water and grows and photosynthesis and, and chlorophyll and all of the scientific terms that we know, the plants and the trees and the grass and the, the, the ground began to go through that process, but quickly and immediately as God spoke it into existence, it'd be like us watching a flower bloom in a time-lapse video. Imagine palm trees bursting from the ground. Imagine trees of every kind bursting with color as peaches and pears and apples and oranges begin to adorn their branches. Imagine sunflowers and roses and tulips and daisies exploding onto the scene, dancing in the light of the glory of Christ. Imagine roots laying hold of God's ground for foundation and branches reaching toward the newly placed heavens, waving their limbs in worship to the creator. And God's creative, functional design was on display day three as he colored our planet with food and with beauty. And you think about the process of photosynthesis, plants deriving sunlight and water and carbon dioxide to create oxygen. Without plants, we couldn't breathe. And without plants, we'd run out of food because plant-dependent animals would be gone. And so God, in his orderly, functional design, fills the planet before he puts living life on it. God keeps going, day four. And on day four, he automated the universe by his design. There was light on day one. God automates it on day four. I, I, I uh, recently re-automated my bill paying. 
I have the power to pay my bills however I want to every single month. Uh, I can write the check. I can drive to the place where it goes. I can hand them the check. I have the power to do that, but I've automated my bill paying. God has the power to light up the darkness with his glory and with his presence. But on day four, he put instruments in the sky that not only declare his glory, but it automates the way that we live our life. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so why does the sun rise in the east and set in the west? Why does summer come in June every year for us? Why do the leaves change color in the fall? Why is it hot near the equator? Why do retired people go to Florida the same time every year? Because God created the rhythms and the universe that keeps us in rhythm on day four, because God created the universe with all of its orbiting and all of its rhythmic timekeeping and all of its functionality for life on the earth. Why does snow come every year in the winter? Sin is the answer. <laughs> Verse 17 and 18 exclaim that God put the sun to rule by day and the moon by night, and then he casually throws in that God also created the stars. My, my family and I laid out by the fire on Friday night, and we were looking at the magnitude of stars. God highlights the sun and the moon in day four, but he also breathed out the stars in the universe. And it obviously goes so much further than what we can even perceive. Scientists estimate there's two trillion galaxies out there, trillion with a T, that 100 billion stars make up our Milky Way galaxy <laughs> and God breathed it out. That there's 8 trillion planets out there and all of it came from the mouth of the creator God on day four. All of it is declaring the glory of Elohim and all of it was designed with specificity and functionality for life on planet earth. And it moves and it creates rhythm and it creates seasons for our good and for his glory. Day five and six, God created fish and birds. Then God created land animals and man. Schools of colorful fish began to fill the waters. Flocks of birds began to fill the skies. Animals filled the land with all of God's creativity and pleasure on display. And don't you think that God must have been having so much fun as he filled planet earth? Uh, there's a psalm that says God sits in the heavens and he laughs. And he's laughing at our silly attempts to be king and to be God. But I think God was laughing and, and joyful as he filled planet earth. Imagine, I mean, just look, I'm gonna create a lion today. I'm gonna create this tiger. I'm gonna create that animal to put his head in the sky and that animal to put his head in the ground. I'm gonna plant, create that animal to hibernate. I'm gonna create that animal to make all kinds of crazy noise. I'm gonna create an ostrich. Have you ever seen an ostrich? It's a wild looking animal, but it's really fast. I'm gonna create a cheetah, it's even faster and it has polka dots. Have you seen, a, have you seen a, a dolphin jump or a kangaroo bounce? God, in his creativity, spoke all of it into existence. We go to the zoo and we entertain ourselves with the animals that are on display there. God spoke it all into existence as he filled the earth to display his glory. In verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock 
according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. So God had a purpose in everything. The spiders, the ants, all of it proclaiming the glory of God. And God saw that it was good. Takes us to point number three, which is this. God takes pleasure in creation, magnifies the creator. God takes pleasure and creation magnifies the creator. Seven times throughout the six days of creation, the text also says, and God saw that it was good. God speaks light into the dark, and what he speaks becomes a reality. The reality is designed with precision and functionality for humanity, and God saw that it was good, that it was excellent, that it was above reproach, that it was beautiful. The first worship experience is recorded for us in creation. When we're worshiping God, it is a rhythm of revelation and response. And God's spoken word revealed his power in creation and his response to his own power and his own perfection was that it was good. From day one, creation began exalting the creator. From day one, God's glory was displayed in everything that he had made. Now, one theologian, John Salheimer, he, he makes a distinction that this word good, it was good was referring, it wasn't just anything good. It it was referring to human functionality. He points out that God saw good in what he created for humanity, which would be the crowned jewel of his creation. He draws that conclusion as you look at verse, uh, as you look at verse three in day one, he says, let there be light. And the light was good. On day two, he doesn't really say that anything is good. It was just so as he expanded the the sky and the water. And then from day three forward, as he creates land, plants, space, and animals, he sees that it is good because it is for our good. God's love is on display at the beginning of creation. Just as God loved you before the foundation of the world, his love for you was on display as he began to create all things. God saw that it was good as planet Earth took shape for humanity to experience the unconditional love of the Father. And as God zeroes in on planet Earth, not only is Genesis 1 communicating his power, but it's communicating to us a purpose. And that purpose is to behold the power of creator God who speaks and everything comes into existence. The purpose is that we would reply Like Psalm 34 calls us to reply, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. As God breathed out creation, he saw that it was good. As creation dawns every day and as the sun sets every day and as you wake up with breath in your lungs every day, God is initiating his glory and his power in your life. And you have a responsibility to taste and to see that he's good. Just as he saw his creation was good, you have a responsibility to stop and to notice what the initiator is initiating so that you could get caught up in loving him with your whole being. Everything about Genesis 1 is exclaiming that you are not your own. Nothing belongs to you and everything belongs to God. And this world does not revolve around you, but God is at the center. And the details of your life are but a speck on the radar of our God. But just as he ordered the waters and the plants and the galaxies and the animals by the word of his power, he will order your life and your steps. But will you trust him as your Lord? God's in control. But just as 
creation knows that he's the creator, will you accept, will you believe that he is the creator of the ends of the earth? And he loved you before the foundation of this world and he thought of you in the earliest of days when he created the world and his love for you is on display and available to you today. Just repent and believe and follow Christ. If I can invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians in your Bible quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I just want you to see verses 3 through 6 as the worship team comes out. To help us close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So remember, there's a lot going against us. We're gonna talk about the fall. We're gonna talk about sin coming into the world. But all those who, who are not living, who are not following Christ, who have not confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, who, who cannot sing from their true spirit-given heart, all hail King Jesus today. You, your eyes have been blinded by the gods of this world, by the idols of this world. And scripture says that the idols of this world are worthless. You are actually lost in darkness, just as the earth was formless and void before the beginning. Your life is formless and void apart from Christ, apart from the gospel. This is what verse five says. What we proclaim, what I'm proclaiming today is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're wrestling with today. I don't know what ideas you came in with. I don't know if you can believe the things that are on the pages of scripture, but the spirit of God, just as he was hovering at the beginning of time, he wants to hover over your life today and he wants to take off the blinders of this world. He wants to show you that there's nothing that this world can offer you. There's nothing in this life that can save you except for Jesus, who is the creator. All things will return to him. He is the lamp and the light of eternity. And just as he spoke light into absolute formless and void darkness, he wants to speak light into your life today. And as the light of the glory of Christ shines in, it removes your heart of stone and it replaces it with a heart of flesh that you might be careful to obey his law and walk in harmony with creator God. So I would encourage you to respond in repentance and faith. There's always a pastor or an elder that would love to talk with you. I, I heard of others repenting and believing even last Sunday. And I rejoice that the spirit of God is moving among us. Let him move in your life today. Let him shine the light of Christ in your heart today. Creation displays God's power. Creation portrays God's purposes, but creation is meant to lead us to the cross. So run to the cross where Jesus paid it all as he died in your place for your sins and rose again from the dead so that you could live for him and not for the things of this world. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? And I wanna close, I, 
I want to read a paragraph to you from an email I got. The woman, I didn't ask the woman if I could share this, but I'll ask her after this. Um, I, I don't think she would care, but uh, it was a beautiful email that came at a really great time this week and uh, was encouraging to me. And she wasn't here last Sunday, but she watched the message later or something. But that morning she was doing what we are supposed to do when it comes to the creation of the world. This is what she wrote. She sent me this picture as she was sitting that morning near Lake Huron. And she wrote, as I was quietly sitting alone in Northern Michigan along the shore of Lake Huron, I was very calmly waiting to welcome the sun at precisely 7:11. And the reason she knew that is because day four, God hung the sun and the moon and all of that stuff. She said, I had my eyes intently focused on the horizon, not wanting to miss the exact moment that the first golden glint of the sun would appear. Then almost like a camera lens, my focus expanded and I was so moved to look up to what was such a beautiful expanse hovering over the water. It was very powerful and moving. The quietness didn't last though. And I have decided that the seagulls are the roosters of the sea who wisely know that it is their job to announce the new day. The excitement, commotion, and flight that was occurring among all of them for the advent of the sun made me smile, laugh, and then get all teary-eyed. The miracle slowly occurred as it does every morning, and the full radiance of the sun began to appear, and the sea roosters couldn't contain themselves as they celebrated the glory of God's creation. I was reminded that all creation was made to worship God. And I was also reminded of Elizabeth Browning's poem, Earth earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. May we take off our shoes in the presence of a holy God who created the heavens and the earth. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come. Thank you for this woman's example of what it looks like to take part in your grand story, what it looks like to take part in your divine creation that you spoke into existence through your mighty power. Lord, I thank you for her anticipation and for her her obedience to ponder the creator of the ends of the earth, to wonder at the animals and the water and the sunrise and the sun setting that you do that you've set up to model your character and your goodness. Lord, I pray today that just as you spoke light into the formless and void past, that you would speak light into our midst. God, that you would shine light into our world and into our circumstances. God, I pray that the light and the radiance of the person of Jesus Christ would pierce and would shatter the dark sin of our hearts. God, I pray for anybody here today who has not confess Jesus as Lord of their lives, who has not committed their lives to following you, who has not committed their lives to die to themselves and pick up their cross and and learn all that there is to learn about the God of glory so that they could worship the God of glory. Lord, I pray that you would pierce their hearts today and draw them from the darkness of this world to the light that is in your beloved son. And Lord, with creation, We do the best that we can to extol you, to exalt you, to proclaim your holiness in all the earth. You alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.